0: Good morning. Did everybody have a nice Christmas? Yeah, yeah it was good. It was good. Um, one of the benefits of being a little bit of a redneck and marrying into a, uh, which I guess you would call a Latino family, um, I got to eat biscuits and gravy for breakfast on Christmas and tamales for dinner, and it was awesome. I I I took a nap. Uh, immediately after dinner, surrounded by people, because that's the way I roll, but it was a good time, Uh, so we're, we're two holidays down, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and we have New Year's coming up soon, I don't know about you, I'm not a huge fan of New Year's. It's not been my thing for a few years. The older I get, the more tired that I get. And I know 30 to some of you doesn't sound old. It's old to me. I feel, I feel very sleepy. Um, and when New Year when New Year's Eve rolls around, we'll usually end up staying up. But the problem is, um, even though we have stayed up super late, our kids um, will wake up at the exact same time, regardless of when we go to bed. So. That's not cool, so I don't really look forward to, to New Year's in that respect, but we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the New Year today, and um, yeah, before we do, let's pray. Lord, I pray that um, as we are in here today, and if anybody is like me feeling super uh, cold and that can be a little distracting, I just pray that we would be able to wrap our minds and our hearts around your word and what it is that you have to say to us today. Um, I pray that this would be a time in which we would become um, completely aware of your great love for us, what it is you have accomplished for us, so that as we go into this new year, that might be our source of hope and our source of joy. And uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And just so you know, if your kids act up while I'm preaching, I will point it out. I will not. I won't do that to you. That would be if it's my kids. I'll point it out. All right. Um, so we're, we're when we come to New Year's, we generally start to uh, become a little aware of ourselves. You know, the New Year is often associated with thoughts of um, self-improvement, right? I mean, we look at the past year, we see the things that we've done, we see the things that we have accomplished, we see, um, we see things that we're not too proud of, we see things that we are proud of, and we examine that, and then we take a look at the new year, and we think, how can I improve on myself? And so we make resolutions. Has anybody in here ever made a New Year's resolution? Just raise your hand. Okay, a good number of you. Um, Statistically, 45% of people make a resolution every year. Okay, and about 17% do it uh, from time to time. So majority of people in here are likely to make a resolution um, this year. I've made a few in the past. I have, uh, yeah, I've made a few. Um, One of the most common is what? Weight. Weight, Weight. that's the number one. You're going to lose weight. In the new year. What's the, uh, what would you say some of the others are? Exercise, yep, big one, still weight, okay. What else? Quitting smoking, quitting smoking, Uh, getting out of debt or at least starting the ball rolling on getting out of debt. We make resolutions about all kinds of things. We Make resolutions about um, reading more books or spending more time with family or just in general being a better person. All, All in all, as people, we we are pretty obsessed with self-improvement, with making ourselves better. And the reason for that is we are uh, generally very discontent with ourselves. We're unhappy with who we are, and a lot of our culture reflects this. So I'll give you an example: um, commercials. I hate, I hate commercials. I hate them so much. We don't. I mean, I love TV, but we won't use um, we won't use cable solely because when the commercials come on, it literally it drives my wife nuts. It drives me crazy. Can't stand them. Um, so we'll watch Netflix. You know, we'll plug in the antenna like a few times out of the year to watch a couple shows that I really like because I like TV. Don't get me wrong. Like I love TV, um, but I hate commercials because they play on. Our, vulner- our vulnerability. They play on our fear of not being perceived well. They play on that discontent that we have with ourselves. I mean, have you guys seen um, a good example of this? These new Rob Lowe commercials yeah. for satellite TV, right? I, I don't know if it's for direct TV or just network. I don't really pay. But the message that comes across in those commercials is people who have satellite television are suave, and cool and sophisticated people who use cable are are like me. They're not cool. They're not suave. Um, one character will be—he'll be himself. He'll be good-looking guy dressed up the cable character. Somebody um, with super like scrawny arms or just ridiculously creepy or long hair, whatever. You guys have seen these. Um, that's. That's the way that advertising works now. If anybody has ever seen a commercial um, from 40s, 50s, 60s, I encourage you, look this up on YouTube. Uh, commercials were a lot different. They were a lot different. A commercial used to sell a product. They used to talk about what was good about a product, what was bad about I mean, to the point where even cigarettes, even cigarettes were being sold on their merits. Like, feeling anxious? Smoke a cigarette. Um, to radium. Anybody heard of ra- We used to sell radiation, radioactive material based on its health benefits. And we would talk about how good this stuff was. Now, um, we don't sell our products based on what they do or what they don't do. We sell our products based on what, what we can connect them to regarding image and regarding um, an aura about you an image of somebody who is good-looking, an image of someone who is confident, an image of someone who is in control, you see them next to the product, and that plays on our, our vulnerability. That makes us feel like, if I don't get that, then I'm going to be perceived in a way that I don't want to be perceived. Uh, there's a documentary called The Ad and the Ego, uh, and in this documentary, Professor Richard Poley says... Advertising feeds on our unhealthy self-examination, our desire to be thought highly of. Commercials are designed to feed on that. The bulk of today's advertising doesn't make explicit assertions about things that are true or false. In fact, truth is often irrelevant. It just creates an image or aura, a portrayal or lifestyle or contentment, Around the project, or around the product. Um, that's advertising now. Pay attention when you go home and you look on your TV and see, even if you're not paying attention, it's constantly playing in the background. We hear it um, on the radio, we see it in magazines, we see it everywhere. It's playing on the fact that we are discontent with ourselves. And it's not just limited to commercials, it's written in almost every big, epic, hero type story that we're familiar with. I mean, I just got my kid a book uh, yesterday, got Amador, uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He holds up the big book of gross stuff. That's not the book that I was talking about. Um, but yeah, we got him Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory about? It's a story of somebody, a kid. Oh, you guys know, you want to tell me? Go for it. Oh, you don't have to tell me the whole thing. But yeah, that's right. It's about a kid who goes to the chocolate factory, right? And when this kid starts out, is he well-liked? Is he somebody? No. He's a nobody. And we relate to that, right? We relate to the nobodies that are in stories. But by the end of the story, what happens with the kid? And I'm sorry, I think you've watched the movie, so hopefully I'm not ruining the book for you. But by the end of the story, he is well-liked. He is important, he is a somebody. He goes from being a nobody to being a somebody. Uh, Professor Joseph Campbell, he actually was the first person to write down what is occurring in these movies and in these books that we, that we read. There's this hero narrative in which the character almost always starts out in an extremely normal life circumstance so that we're drawn in, okay, so that we identify with that character. And then there's the call to adventure. All kinds of crazy stuff happens. By the end, the character is generally well-liked, and thought much of. And it's in almost every story. How do we feel when we watch these things? We feel disappointed. Because all we are is we're the normal person in the beginning, but we don't become anything special. That plays on our discontent. So we live out this fantasy. We live out this fantasy of the the little boy who lives under the stairs, and nobody likes him. But no, you're a wizard, Harry, right? Right? You're a wizard, like you're somebody, and you're not just a wizard. You're the most important wizard. Or the moisture farmer living on the desert planet who finds out that he is a Jedi. But not just any Jedi, the most important Jedi. Right? That's the way stories play out. That's the way Cinderella plays out. Cinderella, the story of a girl hated by her family, considered bottom class, unimportant, but then, through a series of events, becomes a princess. Are New Year's resolutions bad? No. Are commercials bad, sometimes, but inherently? No. They're not bad in and of themselves. Movies and stories are not bad. I love Star Wars. I love Lord of the Rings, the story of The Hobbit, who again, nobody, by the end of the story, he's somebody. I love those stories. I love them. But but that's not us. We're left feeling disappointed because, because we're not going to be the family in the commercial that found that product and they're super happy and they all get along and they smile and they love each other. We're just not going to be that. We're not going to be that character in that book, most likely, Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they are a mirror. And we can use them as a mirror to see that reflected in them is something that's wrong with us. We're not happy with ourselves. This country spent $12 billion in 2011 on self-help, on self-improvement. We're obsessed with becoming a better version Of us. For further proof, for further proof about our discontentedness, I just want you to imagine in your own minds, um, take a look. There's a version of you that is so much better than the you that you are. In each and every one of us, there is a version of ourselves that is better looking, that is more successful, that is thinner is more disciplined, a version of us, a version of you moms that is never tired, right, never loses your patience when your kid uses your wall as a coloring book. There's a version of you in your mind that's like that. You dads, there's a version of you whose kids are always listening to what you have to say because every word that comes out of your mouth is liquid gold. It is just amazing. Uh, it, is, it is so admirable and worthy of respect that they sit at your feet and they just go, Thank you, Father, for teaching me this. This is the most wonderful thing. That's the version of us that we have in our heads. It's, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And you'll never get there. And some of you have a version of yourself as a single person where everybody desires you but you're not feeling like that. You don't think that you can become that or you desire so hard to become that that you work hard at becoming that person that everybody wants so that you can find a spouse someday. So that you can find some kind of approval or love and satisfaction and you feel that that you've fallen short. So what is the answer to this discontentedness that exists in our lives? The world gives two answers. The world gives two answers. I'm going to go through those really quick and then I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The world gives two answers. One, try harder. That thing that you want to become, that person, that perfect kid who always obeys their parents, just do it, right? Parents, how many times do we just tell our kids that? Just do it. That's the Nike slogan, right? Just do it. Just do it. Just become who you are meant to be. Just live up to the expectations that you have on yourself. Every dream that you have dreamt Live it out. But I can't. But I can't. And and you can't. See, the reality is, this is a sinful and broken world, and we are sinful and broken people. We are incapable of just willing ourselves into perfection. As much as we'd like to think that we can just go out and work hard at becoming who we want to be, the reality is, we can't. What else does the world offer up? Just be happy with who you are. Just be happy with who you are. I see this on Facebook all the time. Written in a number of different ways, but the message is always the same. Don't worry about becoming anything better than yourself. Just be happy with who you are. I'm not. I'm not. You know why? Because I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. You're not the way that you are supposed to be. See, in each one of us, we have, we know, we know there is something wrong with us. And it's not the way that we look. It's not the way that we look. It it runs so much deeper than that. At the very heart of who we are, apart from Jesus, there is this, Brokenness that we can't put into words and to just say just be happy with who you are that doesn't help anybody if any of you have ever tried to just be happy with who you are then you can attest to the fact that there is no satisfaction in that today we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 um, beginning in verse 26 if anybody needs a Bible I'm sure somebody would be happy to grab one for you we have a few on the sides if you need a Bible raise your hand Anybody? All right. Good deal. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is a church that is very discontent with who they are. The church in Corinth is, is divided at this point. Because people who are in the church have become very unsatisfied with themselves. See, they were saved into the church based on what Jesus had done for them. That was the basis of their salvation, was what Jesus had done. But now, but now their their affections have started to wane. They've started to look for their identity in other places. And what the the book of Corinthians tells us, first Corinthians tells us, is that they had started to separate from one another, started to fight with one another on the basis of who it is that baptized them. So they started to find their identity in which church leader in in Corinth had baptized them into the church. And so some people were saying, I was baptized by Cephas or Peter. I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by Paul. And Paul writes in this letter and he says, essentially... That they have found their identity in a place where it doesn't belong. And as a result, have sinned. As a result of trying to find their joy, their purpose, their meaning in something other than Jesus, they had sinned. And so this is Paul's words to the Corinthians, beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you, this is chapter 1 verse 26, did I say that? Chapter 1 verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chose to build His church using people from all different walks of life. God chose to build His church from people that were not the most desirable, though some were, that were not the wisest, though there were some that were wise, Paul says, not many of you were. Though there were some that were powerful, not many of you were powerful. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So why would God choose to build his church using a bunch of nobodies? the answer is in verse 29 so that no human being might boast in the presence of god this this passage of passage of scripture it's not anti the powerful people and it's not anti the wise people that are in the church it's it's anti anybody thinking that they are somebody because of something that they have accomplished or done. He's telling those who are lowly in the church, those who were nobodies when they came in, he's saying, consider who you were when you were called in. God didn't call you because you were special. He didn't call you into the church because you were somebody. That's not the church that God was building. He wasn't wanting to build a church that anybody could stand in and say, the reason that I'm here is because I'm important. He built a church where that's impossible. Paul's saying, take a look at yourselves, take a look at those who are around you. God built a church where the only person who is glorified is God. The only person who's able to lift themselves up, the only person you should be identifying yourself with, not Cephas, not Apollos, not me, the only person you should be identified by is Jesus. See, that's where we as Christians find our identity not in our education or lack of education not in our successes or in our hardships not in our appearance not in our friends not in our power our identity is found in Jesus in Jesus alone when God lifts the blinds from our eyes When God lifts the blinds from our eyes, as we attempt to make something big out of ourselves, when God lifts the blinds off our eyes and lets us see who we really are, what the church really is, and who He is, there is so much freedom in that. It's the freedom to recognize, I'm not okay. But because of Him, I am. In verse 30... Paul says this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Because of him, I'm going to read it again. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is something that we miss a lot. When we talk about our faith in Jesus, it's something that we tend to gloss over or it's something that a lot of the church I don't think recognizes, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to take away your sins. Though he did die to take away your sins, he didn't die just to take away your sins. He died to give you a new identity. To not just take away the bad, which is what we often associate the cross with, right? Not just to take away the bad, but to give us good. Not just to take, the, take away the bad, but to give you and I good. What Paul is saying here is what Jesus has given to us is an entirely new way of thinking about ourselves. Not based on our own merits or what we've accomplished, but based on what Jesus has done. I want to go through these in verse 30. It says that he became to us wisdom from God. He became to us wisdom from God. God became to us, Jesus became to us, the wisdom for salvation. Look, I know a lot of people that that want to be thought of as smart. I'm one of those. I go to a great length to convince people that I'm smarter than I really am. Right? I, I read a certain amount of words per minute, but I always toss in a couple more whenever I tell people how fast I read. I, I read a certain amount of books during a year, but I don't tell them that I skip uh, the prologue. I don't tell them that I skip uh, certain parts, the introductions of most stories, because I find them boring. I don't tell them that. I just want them to think, hey, you're somebody. Right? A lot of us get hung up on our, our education, on our wisdom, or our lack thereof. We think that that defines us. Jesus changes all that. He says, the wisdom... The wisdom that you have is the most important wisdom that you could ever possibly have. It's the wisdom for salvation. It's the wisdom of what Jesus has done. It's the wisdom of the gospel. That's the wisdom that God gave to the church that puts to shame the wisdom of the rest of the world. Because all in all, everything apart from that is ultimately unimportant. Everything apart from that, apart from that, it's good with it, but apart from it, it serves no value if we, if we don't have Jesus, so he's become the wisdom of our, the wisdom from God. for our salvation, He is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. Do you know what that means? It means that you and I, that you and I stand before God with just as much cleanliness, purity. Goodness as God sees Jesus. Think about that as you're thinking about self-improvement. Think about that as you're thinking about how you can become a better version of you. When God, the creator of the universe, looks at you who are in Jesus, who have put your faith in Jesus, who see their lives through the lens of the gospel, God sees you and you are just as right with him as Jesus is. Why? Because on that cross, Jesus took you're bad, and he gave you his good. How many of you messed up just since you woke up this morning? How many of us have sat in here today, myself included, and complained about the cold, as we as a church get to meet in a place open and publicly and worship Jesus, as so many people in the world do not have that opportunity? We are, we are blessed. To say the least, God loves us so much that he, he doesn't just leave you the way that you are. He doesn't just leave you the way that you are. He makes you exactly what you need to be so that you can have Him. Isn't that awesome? To say, to say just be happy with who you are, that's, that's, that sounds appealing at first. But compared to the truth, which is in Jesus, you may still be a screwed up individual who woke up this morning, got in your car, started yelling at your kids, got here and complained about the cold and were going to complain about your lunch today. You may still fail. You may still lose your patience. You may still lust. You may still, you may still say things that you wish you hadn't said. You may still not. I mean, I could go on and on. But at the end of the day, because of Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous. No self-improvement needed. He is our sanctification. He is our sanctification, which means he he is our holiness. He is us being made good in God's eyes. Not only are all of your sins cleansed. From you, not only are you completely made new in the eyes of God, but on top of that, the holiness and the holy life in which Jesus lived is applied to us. That's an impressive resume. This is like you applying for a job that you are totally unqualified for and being able to take the person who is most qualified in that field take their experience, put it on your resume, hand it in, and say, this is who I am. That's who we are in Jesus. To stand before God and even with all of our failures, with all of our failures in 2014, 13, 12, and all the years before, to be able to stand before God and His goodness, His goodness and His good works are applied to us so that now we can walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to do, but we don't have to do them to make Him love us. We don't have to do them to make us acceptable he is our redemption he is our redemption this word redemption it means to buy or to buy back it's talking about value it's talking about purchase and in this concept again can be a little weird for us i was i'm the type of guy i don't even if you know me at all i don't need to tell you this i'm the type of guy i i think of a question that most people would push out of their heads because it's a dumb question. I Google it, like, right away, right away. I cannot help myself. It doesn't matter how ridiculous it is. It can be a question, my wife might think of questions like these, but she goes, that's unimportant and unnecessary to the course of events happening today. Not me, I think of that, and I'm like, I gotta Google that right now, and why wouldn't I? I have a computer in my pocket. I mean, I can pull this out and get the answer to anything at any time that I want. And I was thinking about Beanie Babies. I was thinking about Beanie Babies. You guys remember Beanie Babies? Who in here has purchased a Beanie Baby? I'm just curious. They really... Did you raise your hand? All right. Okay. Um, (laughs) For her? (laughs) We'll talk about it now. Um, No, Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies were huge. Were huge. I mean, for that many people in this room to say, I have purchased a Beanie Baby... And we were lied to about Beanie Babies, were we not? We were lied to. Because that Beanie Baby was going to make you rich. You were going to retire off that Beanie Baby. So I started thinking about Beanie Babies. How much are Beanie Babies worth? Um, Even just the word, Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies, it's hard to say. So how much are these things worth? Uh, I Googled it, and they're almost all worth nothing. Very few of them are worth as much as they were when you purchased them, though there are a few that are worth a lot. There are very few, but there are a few, about 10, I think, that are actually worth something. One of them, in fact, is worth $50,000. Okay, this was the Princess Di when, uh, when she passed away. They came out with a commemorative uh, purple beanie baby. Today, if you have one of the first run uh, of those, they go for $50,000. They've actually gone for as much as $300,000 at one point. Think about that beanie baby. And what it's made out of. Something that's made out of cloth. Synthetic fibers. PVC pellets. Is worth $50,000. Because somebody was willing to pay $50,000. For it. How much are we worth? If God. Purchased us. Back. Purchased us. From our sin. How much are we worth? The price that he paid. Was not $50,000 dollars or 100,000 dollars or a million dollars or a billion dollars the price that he paid to purchase you and I was his son self improvement self improvement is all about adding value that's what it is self improvement is about adding value to your life making you worth more how can you be worth more than what god has already paid for you how could you possibly add worth to your life to borrow a quote from scripture and change it a little bit you are worth many beanie babies you are worth many beanie babies verse 31 so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord Paul says at the end of all this everything that I've said up to this point I want you to know this is why the reason why God has done what he has done so that none of us can be proud he has completely taken your identity and made it His identity, he has taken who he is and applied it to you so that you will never be able to boast in who you are. Charles Spurgeon has this awesome quote. Um, Old preacher, he says this, he was holy and written among the holy. We were guilty and numbered among the guilty. He transfers his name from yonder list to this black indictment and our names are taken from the indictment and written in the role of acceptance, for there is a complete transfer made between Jesus and his people. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard to go into 2015 and not think about everything that we did and everything that we were, and not think of all that we can become. And I'm not telling you don't. Don't try to achieve your personal goals. I have my own. I have things that I want to see change in my life, but if the foundation, if at the base of that We have anything other than what Jesus has already done and already made us. We are doomed for failure. We are destined for disappointment. If we go into 2015 thinking that we are going to add any value to our lives more than what God has already added, we deceive ourselves. If we think that by the end of next year we are able to brag about anything, we are dead wrong. Instead, instead, let's look to 2015 with joy, and with anticipation, knowing we are impervious to what the the next year has in store for us. We are impervious, not only to our failures, but to our successes. We do not have to be affected when the world lifts us up. We do not have to be destroyed when the world brings us down because who we are will never change if we are in Jesus. So let's pray, and let's worship Him for that. Jesus, I thank you that you have taken people so incredibly undeserving like myself and you, you made a church out of us. You took those who didn't deserve wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption and you gave it to us in such a complete and total way that we will never be the same pray, Lord, for anybody here today who does not believe that, who maybe in their life has has believed that you wanted them to live up to something that they were incapable of living up to. I want my prayer for them today is that they would realize that there's nothing that they can do to be acceptable in your eyes except for put their faith in Jesus because he is acceptable in your eyes. Let us today revel in the fact that we are we are completely impervious to the events of 2015. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.